how which which like version of the musical did you guys watch? Because I only listened to um, the album on Spotify, and like I watched some clips of the David Hasselhoff one. <laughs> um, I didn't have enough time to actually watch the whole thing um, and listen to the whole yeah. thing, but. I know that's kind of my whole job, but it's fine. Um, but I listened to the one that has, um, is it the original one with the Australian guy who doesn't sound like he's Australian, but he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that the, is that the, oh, I think I know. Like the original, the one it's, like the, it's the one that's on YouTube. It's like uh, Anthony, Anthony Warlow. Warlow. Yeah, Warlow, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Warlow? Yeah. I think so. I should have sure looked up better for you. It's okay. Because that's the version that's on Spotify. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah I had heard... I'm- yeah, I heard a couple songs before that. Um, like from the, I heard like some of the girl songs. Like like one person sang, uh, "Bring on the Men in Class" and sang with um, "How I Am." See, this really is showing my cards here. Uh, <laughs> or when uh, confrontation, what I am. like confrontation yeah. was like a TikTok trend for a while. Oh, um, I yeah. live inside you forever. Yeah. No. no! <laughs> <laughs> Um, I home. watched the uh, the um, the bad Broadway. Um, I don't really want to say the word, but like the the um, jo- Joey Richter sang that at like a cabaret thing. But it was like it was a poopy Broadway. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't want to say the S word, but <laughs> oh, <laughs> Actually, we've said it before. Like we've said the S word before, and Julian's here. It's okay, we can swear now. Um, <laughs> um, but like the shitty Broadway, um, Joey Richter sang it, and like the, um, like Jekyll, or sorry, oh, I always get the two my step. Hyde is supposed to be like this like maniacal evil character, and he makes Hyde like the like this like campy like cartoon character. Like I live inside you <laughs> forever. Yeah, it's just like so funny. It's like um, so like Disney, <laughs> and then like like Doctor Jekyll is still like the straight man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I enjoyed the musical, but ooh, it was I I liked the musical. I'll say it. I the musical what I got from the musical, <laughs> I enjoyed. I feel like it would been. It felt like it was. It felt like a really fun musical to direct. It felt like it would be a really fun mm-hmm. musical to direct. If I was directing a musical and I got to choose any musical, I'd probably choose Little Shop of Horrors. But after that, it would be Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like this, like the musical. Not unlike the book, is very, is very dense for how short it is. Like this, honestly, like they're both probably about the same. Like I listened to the audiobook, it was three hours long, and like the same with the musical. Like it's the same length, basically. Yeah, but I, it's completely different. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And so it's very different. Yeah, I mean, this the book would work very well as a play, but not as musical. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was thinking that too when I was going through it. I was just like. This is so different, but also like if they were just beat for beat do the book, it would be the book would not make a good musical at all. Yeah. It like because Utterson would be the worst musical protagonist like ever. <laughs> he would not be good some, as a musical protagonist. Some lawyer, yeah. Yeah. Like a guy whose whole persona is like being very dry and quiet all the time <laughs> and like very inward. It's like yeah. that's not what a that's not what makes a good musical just like quiet introspection. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like they added some aspects of like Frankenstein and Dracula into it. Like I felt that add too, in yeah. some female characters and make yeah. it like, oh no, the the girlfriend's in peril and yeah, a female character with a name. Yeah. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> that's like the one thing of the, the test though. 
does the musical pass the Bechdel test? I don't think so. Actually, I mean, because like Linda and Lisa, Linda, that's not Luther, Lucy and Emma, they sing a couple songs together, but they're always like in reference. They're always parallel characters because they're both in love with the guy. Yeah, the other versions of the same man. Yeah. I feel like it doesn't pass. I'd have to like go through. Cause like I think we're safe to say it doesn't pass that because there's still only two female characters that are named. Yeah, the book definitely doesn't pass because I don't think there's there's like the maid. Yeah, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think the uh, I think the musical also I don't think it passes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even like L- Lucy's intro song is um all about men. Yeah. Like bring bring on the Met. I can't Yeah. That. Yeah. You know what I'm talking Um I mean while we're talking about it, might as well <laughs> do the intro. Hi everybody. Welcome to episode number 30 of History of the Spotlight on Jekyll and Hyde. And also our third episode of our book club, Music Leader Book Club, with Ooh. Julian Waldron. Introduce yourself, Julian. Hi, I'm Julian Waldron. I was just applauding. I don't know if the mic picked that up. <laughs> it did. Um <laughs> But hello, I'm Julian Waldron. Yeah, back cool. again for a for a third strike at it. Yeah, trying to make Max cuss. I cussed already. <laughs> we're fine. <laughs> um, we're um, yeah. So doing Jekyll and Hyde. So we read the book. I listened to the book, um, and listened to the musical and watched the musical, just depending on what we had time for. Um, personally, <laughs> I yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll just do a quick synopsis. Um, they are very different synopsis, synopses. So this is mm-hmm. a synopsis for the musical. So in an attempt to cure his ailing father's mental illness by separating good from evil in the human personality, talented physician Dr. Jekyll inadvertently creates an alternate personality of pure evil, dubbed Mr. Hyde, who wreaks murderous havoc on the city of London. As his fiancée, Emma, grows increasingly fearful of her betrothed, a prostitute, Lucy, finds herself dangerously involved with the, both the doctor and his alter ego. Struggling to control Hyde out before he takes over for good, Jekyll must find ways to find a cure for the demon he has created in his own mind. Um, so none of that happens in the book. Um, yeah, there, not really. I mean, actually, does he have, he has a fiance, right, in the book? No. No? No, no never mind. Okay. Uh, unless I, unless I, like, missed a big chunk, I do not know. He doesn't have there's it's, no female characters in the book. It's kind of like the same thing as Oliver's. Like, there's, it's called Oliver. It's called Doctor Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. But there sure isn't a lot of them. Like, yeah, like you no, don't see a whole, lot of them. The famous like Jekyll and Hyde narrative is like one tenth of the book. It's the final chapter mm-hmm. is where that's even. It's it's like a, it's like the reveal. It's not the mm-hmm. point of the story. It's like the twist at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Annika, do you want to talk about the uh, um, the historical context? <laughs> so I split it up into um, two bits. So we have our Victorian London part, and then we have our Robert Louis Stevenson part. Mm. And then when I was Is it Louis? Oh, yeah. Um, well, it could be Louis, but whenever I see it spelled that way, I always think it's Louis yeah um if i but, see like e-w-i-s then i think it's lewis but yeah because yeah. he had originally like that was originally how his name was spelt but uh he changed it mm. so i don't know if he was like you know what i'm just gonna be a bit more french yeah <laughs> yeah yeah 
And so uh, even though in the book they don't specifically tell you what time period it is, or it says kind of like 1800s maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I decided to go for Victorian London because we already covered the Industrial Revolution with Oliver. And I was afraid mm-hmm. it was going to be the same per- like time period. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be like, okay, what do I cover then? So yeah. <laughs> Victoria, London. So it was the period of Queen Victoria's reign from the 20th of June, 1837 to the 22nd of January, 1901, which was her death. So her reign lasted 63 years and seven months. Um, how long has Queen Elizabeth II been reigning? I think since like the like 60s. 60s, yeah. yeah. 60s, so probably like... Isn't her... Wait, she has a I jubilee coming up 50s. soon. Uh... Because she got married in the late 40s. And then... Yeah. I just remember there was an episode... Okay, there was an episode of Doctor Who place at the coronation of queen elizabeth and that was the 1960s no 1950s wait it was called the idiot's lantern it was all about television so late 1950s early 1960s not uh, that wasn't even late 1950s okay 1950s uh yeah because i think um elizabeth has a jubilee coming up next year like some fancy event to remember the coronation um she has been on the throne for just over 69 years oh, nice nice <laughs> sorry you gotta <laughs> That's the... oh <laughs> <laughs> okay i get it <laughs> you know i have to i think this is the second time one of these episodes that you've mm-hmm. said 69 and i had to <laughs> Yeah. Oh, wasn't it last time I got annoyed because he said like <laughs> no you when it was like child death or something? Yeah, I remember yeah, it was yeah, like somebody's right death. His, yeah. like, his first child died in 1869 and I was like nice. <laughs> 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 okay. So Victorian London. So let's I've divided it up into different little uh sections. So first we're gonna talk about science because that's gonna be uh the most pertinent to our subject matter. Uh, So Victorian London marked like the departure from tradition and mysticism towards a more science-based approach to matters. Um, There was advancements in modern medicine, the adoption of germ theory of diseases, uh, and the pioneering research in epidemiology. Um, So quote unquote, uh, multiple studies suggest that on a per capita basis, the numbers of significant innovations in science and technology and of scientific geniuses peaked during the Victorian era and have been on the decline ever since. That's kind I mean, of mean, to be honest. Oh no. <laughs> I mean, it's been declining. I mean, that, to be fair, like, you don't really, I don't really know that many scientists or like people that are pursuing science after university or after yeah. like high school. Um, like, I you know, like engineers and stuff, but like, I don't know. No, we've definitely. I think. I think it's just like all the big stuff is out of the way. Yeah, like we don't need to learn how like, to like how to, um, like how to identify like a, um, I don't. You see, this is this is a prime example. Yeah, like a, a different <laughs> well, micro, or like or like germs, or like whatever. Like yeah. we don't like or, that's already been discovered. Yeah, didn't they? They didn't have the cure for polio. 
back then. We do, probably. <laughs> do we have the cure for polio, Annika? <laughs> I think you know? so, because there's a vaccine. Like I think we do, yeah. Well, I mean, the vaccine's a treatment not here, but... There is no cure for polio, but it can be prevented by the polio okay. vaccine. Okay. Was we it... have a polio vaccine. Wait, somebody, I think, never mind, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, people in their 80s today could be polio survivors. <laughs> can it? Yeah. Yeah, because, like, the polio was, like, 1930. Anyway, sorry, we don't need to talk about this. That was a, carry on. <laughs> All right. Uh, so... The study of natural history was most powerfully advanced by Charles Darwin and his theory of evolution, first published in his book on the origin of species in 1859. So natural history became increasingly an amateur activity, uh, particularly in Britain and the United States. This grew into specialist hobbies such as the study of birds, butterflies, uh, seashells, um, beetles and wildflowers. Amateur collectors and natural history entrepreneurs played an important role in building the large natural history collections of the 19th and early 20th centuries. Um, I remember there was an episode of Penny Dreadful where uh, the main character was walking through a natural history museum and they have all these like stuffed or like taxidermied animals all over the place. Mm. It's like, ooh, that would have been an interesting uh, thing if they still had those around. I think they might have mm-hmm. 100%. They heard. do like every once in a while you see taxidermy, but not too much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then a gas network for lighting and heating was introduced in the 1880s. Um, so in regards to politics, I don't have much about politics because it was kind of boring. Um, there was increasingly liberal politics kind of coming forward and movement towards political and social reform uh, in regards to any wars in the time period. So there was like in 1853, Britain fought alongside France in the Crimean War against Russia. Um, and the goal was to ensure that Russia could not benefit from the declining status of the Ottoman Empire, which was a strategic consideration known as the Eastern Question. Um, also, Crimea is Ukrainian. Mm. Cool. Gotta nice. say that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's a big hoopla about the Ukrainian soccer team having Crimea involved in their and the outline of their country and all the Russians were mad. (laughs) I'm just going to say that. Um, (laughs) There were numerous revolts and violent conflicts in the British Empire, but there were no wars with other major nations. Um, In South Africa, tensions escalated, especially with the discovery of gold in the area. So the result was the First Boer War in 1880 and 1881, and the intensely bitter Second Boer War in 1899 and 1902. And the British finally prevailed, but lost prestige at home and abroad. Um, In regards to population, uh, the population of England and Wales almost doubled from 16.8 million in 1851 and all the way to 30.5 million in 1901. Mm. So due to the quick growth in population, it led to people flooding into industrial areas and commercial cities faster than housing could be built resulting in overcrowding and lagging sanitation facilities such as fresh water and sewage. There were sanitation reforms prompted by the Public Health Acts of 1848 and 1869, stop it, were made in the crowded, dirty streets of the existing cities. 
and soap was the main product shown in relatively or shown in the relatively new phenomenon of advertising. So we're like, oh yes, clean with soap. Pre mm. Like prevent yourself from getting all these gross gout diseases. Mm. Uh, urbanization aided the spread of diseases and squalid living conditions in many places exacerbated the problem. Moreover, while some diseases such as cholera were being driven out, others such as trans... Wait, wait. I got those words made up. So were being driven out. Others, such as sexually transmitted diseases, made themselves felt, particularly itching. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in regards to family, women were to dominate the domestic aspects of life, such as family, spouse, children, household, religion, and moral behavior, though they still had limited legal rights to their own bodies, family, property, and their children. Um, it just reminds me of... Uh, like in Little Women, where uh, Amy's saying, like, oh, yeah, any children that I have aren't going to be mine. Mm. Yeah. Like, oh. That movie's so good. I love Florence Pugh. Yeah. Uh, We're going to see her tonight. I know. <laughs> Are you going to... Uh, oh, you're going to see Black Widow. Yeah. Yeah. She I gotcha. Yeah. Took me a second. I thought it was just like, you're meeting Florence Pugh? <laughs> oh, my God. I would, I would pass uh, out the prospect of meeting her that's the thing about <laughs> celebrities is like i would never know how tall they are when i meet them like everyone tall is she looks short compared to the rest of the sisters in little woman mm. height although i guess amy is the uh, young she, you know, she isn't the youngest is she no she's the she second. is she is the youngest she, yeah she's the youngest florence Pugh's five four so oh, that's not, very short to be max that's not awful it's the same as hannah <laughs> which That's is which is it is very short to me but <laughs> so the number of children each family had shrank accord or like allowing much more attention to be paid to each child which you know that's good um extended families were less common as the nuclear family became both the ideal and the reality of the situation so for women, the first colleges for women opened in the 1870s, though it was not until the 1890s that they were started to be permitted to study side by side with men and to sit for the same, same exams as men. But it wasn't until 1948 where they could earn degrees. So I kind of baffled me a bit. They let the women go to school but not get degrees? Yeah, they're like, yeah, you can take this <laughs> test and like do the exams, but you're not going to get anything out of it. What's okay? I guess education doesn't have to be. I, to I feel degrees, like that was like, almost just. It was just like entertainment, almost because like, for there's nothing to do in Victorian London. Do they so, still like, have, ladies? Do they still know. have to pay like tuition? I don't know. Hmm. That's. I feel like, like it was scam. it was entertainment for the upper class. Yeah, know? fair enough. Yeah. I guess nowadays, like, education is kind of formed into, like, a career. You need to have education to go to, to get a career, so. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's also other things we can do to entertain ourselves now that when they didn't have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to do, yeah, anyway. So while women were not welcomed into the world of medicine, this was not the case for nursing. In fact, nursing became even more respected after the brilliant exploits of Florence Nightingale during the Crimean War. Uh, her nursing school at St. Thomas's Hospital became the model for others. Consequently, for many middle-class young women, the prospects of being a nurse 
uh, one of the few career options open to them at the time, became much more appealing. So education. Uh, educational reforms leading to almost universal literacy among or amongst people towards the end of the era, uh, better educated masses, and led to a big market for reading material. So there's big boom in that market. Uh, the Industrial Revolution incentivized people to think more scientifically and to become more educated and informed in order to solve novel problems. As a result, cognitive abilities were pushed to pushed to their genetic limits, making people more intelligent and innovative than their predecessors. <laughs> I don't know who, some, some of the things seem just a little bit far-fetched and I don't know if they're real. Then mm -hmm. again, this is sound, Wikipedia. Doesn't sound quite right. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> you have to think harder and then that means that your kids will be able to think better. I mean, like, I guess, but I don't think it's a genetic thing. <laughs> well, like, is there a real guarantee, like, if you have smart parents that you're going to have smart kids? I don't think there's a guarantee, but I think, like, like just being raised in an environment where that sort of stuff is valued could, like, affect it, maybe. I feel like it would help, for sure. Yeah. Like, because like, if you have, like, academic parent, I guess smart as an academic, but, like, if you have smart parents, they'll know, like, which path to put you on, but mm -hmm. or like, I mean, if you want to be rebellious, yeah. you, you can be rebellious like, to like get away from the mm -hmm. smart parents. But I don't think it's like a genetic thing. I don't think like if your parents were smart and like, I think it's like a nurture, not a nature, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, um, there's nothing, <laughs> no, no smarts in, in genetics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's keep that away. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah so that can that can lead into some pretty uh harmful ideologies <laughs> yeah so yeah with people being able to think a bit more uh formal education was more vital so mm. the era saw a reform and renaissance of public schools the public school became a model for gentlemen and public service sunday schools and charity schools helped reduce illiteracy in fact, throughout the course of the 19th century, there was a clear movement towards universal literacy, culminating in the Elementary Education Act of 1870. By 1876, attending elementary schools was made compulsory. So jumping to sports, uh, the Victorian era saw the introduction and development of many modern sports, often originating in the public schools. They exemplified new ideals of manliness. So you have cricket, cycling, croquet, horse riding, and many other water activities are examples of some of the most popular sports in the Victorian era. Those aren't really the like ones that nowadays you'd describe as manly. I was thinking that you said like manliness, and I was thinking, I was you thinking know what's manly? Like croquet, football, soccer. Then you started off with croquet, yeah, and I was just like, <laughs> okay. Croquet yeah. and horse riding and water polo. All right. <laughs> um, and then modern tennis was originated in Birmingham, England, somewhere between 1859 and 1865. Uh, and then Britain became an active competitor in all of the Olympic Games starting in 1896. So now on to leisure activities. So opportunities for leisure activities increased dramatically as real wages continued to grow and hours of work continued to decline. 
So in urban areas, the nine hour workday became increasingly the norm. Uh, the Factory Act of 1874 limited the working week to 56.5 hours, encouraging the movement towards an eventual eight hour workday. So scheduled entertainment became more and more popular with sporting events, music halls, and popular theater. Um, women were allowed to take part in some sports such as archery, tennis, badminton, and gymnastics. And there were plans for a large amphitheater um, for musical performances and conferences. But after Prince Albert's death in 1861, they decided to commemorate him by naming the, it the Royal Albert Hall which was opened oh, on the really? 29th of March, 1871. So that's where they did uh, that version of the Phantom of the Opera that I love so much. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. like one of the big theaters in London still. Yeah. And then the end of the Victorian era. So after weeks of illness, Queen Victoria died on the 22nd of January, 1901. By her bedside were her son and heir, Edward VII and grandson Kaiser Wilhelm II, and thus begins the Edwardian era. So that's all I got for that stuff. Nice. Um, I'm just going to quickly do the characters. Um, mm -hmm. Then you can go into, we can talk about the, the book a little bit and then go back to you for Robert Louis Stevenson. Yep. Okay, yes. so Henry Jekyll slash Edward Hyde. Um, so just as a preface, these are all... Um, the, the descriptions for the musical, not the book, because um, oh, okay. half these characters don't show up in the book. Um, yeah, so Henry Jekyll mm -hmm. slash Edward Hyde. Jekyll is a doctor obsessed with discovering the true nature behind the good and evil in, in man and his fiance. After he uses an experimental formula on himself, his evil side, Edward Hyde, takes control. As Hyde, he is a violent, commanding, and sexual deviant attracted to Lucy. Sexual deviant is usually used in different contexts, but that's good that it's used in this context, I guess. Well, um, don't say that so far because I have something to say about the books. <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> um, Lucy Harris, um, the gorgeous main attraction at a local gentleman's club. At the bottom of her luck, she becomes a, the object of Hyde's obsession. Lucy is feisty and wild, but also cautious and aware. Um, Emma Carew, the daughter of Chairman Danvers and Jekyll's beloved fiance, who is refined and desired by all socialite men. Um, John Utterson serves as Jekyll's lawyer and helpful friend. He advises the troubled doctor on personal and personal and professional affairs. Sir Danvers Carew, Emma's loving father and chairman of the board of governors, a charming and gentle man, and Simon Stride, the secretary of the board of governors and Jekyll's rival for Emma's affections. Um, I'm gonna tell you right now. I skipped the board of governors song because I was thought because I saw it was nine minutes. <laughs> um, I'm like, you I know what? I'm sure it was fine, but I was like, I just can't sit through this right now. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Julian, do you want to go off what you were saying about the sexual deviance? Well, this is something that I didn't really pick up in when I was reading, like I was doing all my stuff about like the different motifs or whatever and like mm. the theme. But when I was talking to others about it, one thing that came up a lot was that there's um, apparently uh, in the first part of the book with Mr. Utterson, there's supposed to be the, um, the, what's the word, sort of like a, there's supposed to be like the sort of vibe, the sort of idea that maybe Jekyll and Hyde are having like an affair. 
mm. and Hyde, that's what Hyde, because he, he believes that Hyde is blackmailing him, right? Mm. Um, Mr. Utterson is like, okay, this guy's blackmailing this gentleman, uh, and he has keys to his apartment, and mm-hmm. they're all like, oh, what, what's this dude doing hanging around all the time? And the, um, apparently, I didn't pick up on this, but other people have said, like, yeah, this is a thing. Uh, the sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? The, um, I don't remember. The, the, the idea is that, oh, they're having an affair. Oh, like the assumption? Yeah, that's the yeah. assumption um, mm-hmm. that's supposed to be had. But they don't know that uh, it's actually no. the same person. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. that's not the point of the book. It's yeah. not like, that's the twist. That's mm-hmm. not like the hook. The hook yeah. is like, oh, this weird, weird, like evil man is associated with a gentleman. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, we all into, know. Like, into like class disparities and stuff like that. Like, yeah. Yeah. As we all know, Victorian gentlemen uh, are incapable of doing bad things. We know this. Mm-hmm. No <laughs> upper gentlemen. class person has ever done anything bad. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. But is so it's else... kind of a thing in the book. Uh, what else do you want to talk about with the book for like five to ten minutes? <laughs> yeah, okay. I can, I, can, I can go in there. I think... <laughs> Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde are sort of sort of similar to like Frankenstein. The characters have sort of outgrown the original story and they sort of exist on their own. Like mm-hmm. I feel like most people have seen some version of Jekyll and Hyde uh, mm-hmm. long before or even without ever having read the book. Yeah. Uh, like there's the Looney Tunes cartoon. Uh, there's like um, that Arthur clip there's there's so many different versions of Jekyll and Hyde and none of them have a whole lot to do with the book because they're all sort of concerned with like there's a good man who drinks a potion to turn him into his evil side and that's Mm. sort of like what Jekyll and Hyde have become yeah and so I was really surprised when I read the book I had owned the book since I was a kid but I just never got around to reading it Mm -hmm. um I was surprised to read that oh this really isn't about Dr. Jekyll. Like mm-hmm. he isn't the main character, Utterson is. The whole yeah. book is following him. And I feel like it would, it, it would be so cool to have read this book without knowing about the cultural figures of Jekyll and Hyde. Mm-hmm. Because if, if it wasn't just like such an ingrained part of our culture, I'm not sure if I would have seen that twist coming. I probably would have been like mm-hmm. surprised by that twist. Yeah, yeah, that, for sure. And also on the same thing, another thing that like comes across in the like cultural depictions of them, but not, but like is sort of different in the book is I feel like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde aren't really representing like capital G good and capital E evil. Because mm-hmm. um, a, a lot of times throughout the book, Hyde is, and this sort of goes back to what Anna was talking about evolution. Hyde is described as like troglodytic and like primitive looking and animalistic. I think like it describes that he has sort of like an ape-like gait and he's like here, bu- bu- bu. yeah, he's just very primitive almost. And mm. so what I got from that is that it's almost like and also, when he takes the potion, Jekyll doesn't change at all. There's no 
even if there's like this bad persona, there's no corresponding good persona because Jekyll isn't like as pure as he would like to believe even after he takes the potion, he's the exact same person as he always was. Mm. Um, so it almost, it, it feels almost more like the potion doesn't split someone into good and evil. All it does is it strips away the facade uh, that society and like civilization and manners put on a person mm. in order to create like the true nature of humanity. Yeah. And while I personally wouldn't believe that's the truth, I think that's what Robert, uh, Robert Louis, Louis Stevenson was mm. trying to get across that, that Hyde is the true humanity. Everything mm. else of a, is a facade. I feel like it kind of goes with like the alignment chart, like, like, um, like Dr. Jekyll is just true neutral, and then um, Mr. Hyde is like chaotic, chaotic evil. evil. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Jekyll is probably like lawful neutral. Yeah. If I, if we're gonna go yeah, into like sure. a, the alignment chart, yeah, for sure. <laughs> he's like lawful neutral, mm-hmm. and Hyde is depending on what you think. He could either be chaotic evil. Or it could be. He's nah, definitely, probably... I'd definitely say chaotic for sure, but like neutral yeah. or evil is to kind of depend on how you think about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, but he but... is it like he is obviously like he is literally more evil than like Doctor Jekyll because he's acting on his influence. Like he's acting on what he wants to do. It's kind of like the thing with like people like never living their lives. Like yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know a lot about it, but it mm. felt like a Freud thing. I don't know if Annika, you can like back that up. You would probably know. You might know more about that than me. Um, I only know more about like Freud's perception of like sexuality. Yeah, mm. I, that's all I know too. I know there's something about like the ego and the id and the super ego. Well, I don't know Freud did have a lot of ego, so he would know <laughs> how cool about that. Yeah, um, but yeah. And that's mm-hmm. the sort of thing that I got across that like Jekyll is the true human uh, mm-hmm. free of all of society's constraints. And also they're not, there's sort of like bleed over between Jekyll and Hyde to the point where I'm almost not convinced those two are like separate, like they share memory. And sometimes while describing Hyde's crimes, like I think when it describes him killing Danvers, Mm-hmm. Um, he says it in the first person. He says, "Like I uh, beat him and stomped him to death, mm-hmm. not Hyde." Does it. he maybe like over the course, like, does he maybe eventually start t- to take responsibility for what he's done? Uh, he does, kind of. Mm-hmm. He still, I feel like there's a lot of the saying, "Oh, Hyde did this," but mm-hmm. as I said, sometimes he'll refer to Hyde in the first person, mm-hmm. and also there's the fact that. Uh, he drank the potion and he admits that when he drank the potion, perhaps it wasn't with virtuous intent. It was more prideful. He was trying to like go beyond human limitations. Because mm. like- It too close to the sun. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is why in the musical, they do sort of put in some like stuff that feels kind of more Frankenstein-y. Because like you mm. can get that. They're both like early around the- same time and they're both like scientists essentially mm-hmm. trying to like become surpass god in a way mm-hmm. um but insert you said like it would make a good play and i think it would because the whole description of mr hyde as um 
giving the impression of deformity without any nameable malformation uh, suggests that he has sort of like this uncanny presence that I think the suspension of disbelief in theater is really good at capturing. Mm. Uh, same reason I like Nick Deere's Frankenstein. Um, but I don't think Utterson, as I said before, I don't think like a dry, uh, a dry lawyer whose main thing is like sitting in silence for <laughs> hours on end. All of the silence. Yeah. There's lots of like pregnant pauses throughout mm-hmm. the book. It's like yeah. a reoccurring motif that characters will like see something crazy and just like not react to it because they don't know what to say. And that wouldn't work well in a musical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's sort of like the opposite of what musicals are. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. I like the book though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a good time listening to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot more fun reading it than I did uh, um, Oliver Twist. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly because I knew that there was an ending coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was really surprised when I bought the book that it was only like 90 pages. I'm like, really? Dr. Jekyll Mr. Yeah. Hyde is only like 90 pages? But I mean, like, it's like, mm-hmm. it's pretty concise and it's not like, it's not the story that we think it is. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like the story Just we like think the it last is. chapter. Exactly. The last chapter yeah. is the story everyone knows. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, let me explain everything to you. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, it's I guess like, it's kind of one of those twists where it's like, oh, you've followed the the series of events in a way, like, and you've thought of it like, oh, it's this other person, and then it's that third act mm-hmm. twist where it just changes everything that you thought you knew. Yeah. 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 And it all comes after the climax too, because I'd mm-hmm. say the climax is probably Hyde's death, and yeah. like the mm-hmm. entirety, the the whole story, the famous story that everyone knows about. This like post climax last chapter wrap up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like a post mortem of what happened. Like he's like he's like his confessional. Like yeah, it does feel like the story ends very suddenly. It would have mm-hmm. been nice to see Utterson's reaction to this, although it probably just would have been like silent contemplation. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, it would have been nice to see Utterson. It just felt like a very sudden cut off. Like mm. the letter ended and there was nothing else. I was like, am I missing pages? Is mm-hmm. this like a, an abridged version of the story? Because I know those exist for a lot of classics. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nope, nope, that's the, uh, that's the end. It's like The Sopranos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't watch it, but I know it's like kind of how it ends. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Okay, do you want to talk about Robert Louis Stevenson? Sure. Yeah. So he was born uh, Robert Louis Balfour Stevenson um, on the 13th of November, 1850. And uh, he was a Scottish novelist, essayist, poet, and travel writer who is best known for his works of Treasure Island, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Kidnapped, and A Child's Garden of Verses. So he was born in Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, the only child to parents Thomas Stevenson, who was the leading or a leading lighthouse engineer, and Margaret Isabella Balfour. So he was described as an apparently very strange looking and eccentric child who did not fit in with others his age. Um, throughout his life, he suffered from a serious bronchial issue or malady, uh, yeah, for most of his life, having a tendency for coughs and for fevers. And it left him to be very thin throughout his lifetime. 
uh, and, but he continued traveling and writing in spite of his poor health. So he went to school at the University of Edinburgh for engineering, but found very little pleasure in the subject. So he therefore decided to change his uh, studies to read law and be called to the Scottish bar. Um, he continued to be quite different and defied his parents' conventions and traditions, such as like he wore his hair long, he wore bohemian clothing, with his allowance he visited cheap bars and brothels, he rejected Christianity and became an atheist. Um, mm. When his father found out about his son's beliefs, the father said, you have rendered my whole life a failure. Oh my god. Like, <laughs> Oy. Um, yeah, uh, he traveled a great deal, made friends with fellow writers, and uh, he began a long correspondence with J.M. Barrie, but they never ended up meeting. Which, Peter Pan guy? Yeah, Peter Pan guy. Yeah. Huh. Um, so he met his spouse, Fanny Van de Griff Osborne, on a canoe trip to Grez in 1876. She herself was an accomplished magazine short story writer. And she had been previously married with children, but unhappily so, and with many separations. And when they met again in 1877, they became lovers. Uh, so they later married in May 1880, and Fanny actually helped Stevenson and his father reconcile their differences. So Stevenson was largely bedridden, uh, well, for three years in mid-1880s, but this led him to write the bulk of his most popular works of Treasure Island, Kidnapped, and The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, he traveled more once his health got better, and he stopped for many extended stays in the Hawaiian Islands, befriending King Kalahaua and his niece, Princess Victoria Kaiulani. So later voyage to the Gilbert Islands, Tahiti, New Zealand, and the Samoan Islands. And eventually he decided to settle down with his wife, in Vailima, Samoa in 1890. So while in Samoa, uh, Stevenson wrote an estimated 700,000 words during his time there, uh, writing many of his final works. So on the 3rd of December, 1894, Stevenson was talking to his wife and was straining to open a bottle of wine when he suddenly exclaimed, what's that? And, his, and asked his wife, does my face look strange? which he then probably collapsed. So he died within a few hours, uh, probably of a cerebral hemorrhage, they say. And he was 44 years old. Um, that was something that kind of shocked me when I was like, you know, you expect these like authors to live long time because they like- That's eventually... relatively young. Yeah. Mm. And um, the Samoans insisted on surrounding his body with a watch guard during the night and on bearing him, or and on burying him on their shoulders to nearby Mount Vea, where they buried him on a spot overlooking the sea on land donated by the British acting vice consul, Thomas Trude. So Stevenson was apparently loved by the Samoans that he lived with. Because um, he just seems like he made, like was very easily made friends in like strange places. Like mm -hmm. he didn't really fit into like British society, but he fit in mm -hmm. in many other places. This is a I mean, really that's... nice, um, sorry, go ahead, Julian. Oh, I think him not fitting into British society makes a lot of sense because I think in a lot of ways, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is very um, critical of British society. 
mm-hmm. like in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, the the requiem that's on his tomb is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Under the wide and starry sky, dig the grave and let me die. Gladly did I live and gladly die. Uh, and I laid me down with a will. This be the verse you gave for me. Here, the lie, here he lies where he belonged to be. Hull is a sailor, home from the sea, and the hunter home from the hill. Wow. Yeah. When did he write Robinson Crusoe? Didn't he write? Mm, that wasn't him. Did... Are you sure? I'm. Isn't that Charles Dickens? No, that's not Charles Dickens. That's Daniel Defoe. What? Oh, okay. What? <laughs> Earth shattering for Julian. <laughs> in 1719. What? I've read Robinson Crusoe, and this whole time I thought it was Robert Louis Stevens. What? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Julian, to go through this. <laughs> BS. I don't like. What? Okay. That's quite a life okay. for only 44 years, though. So good for him for living yeah. all that life. You were listing his famous works, and I was just like, "Really, Annika? You're not? You don't think Robinson Crusoe is big enough to like <laughs> fit there?" And okay, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> I... Wow. Is that it or is it more? <laughs> um. So Stevenson's former home in Vailima, Vailima. It depends how you pronounce it. And Samoa was or is now a museum dedicated to the later years of his life. Uh, the Robert Louis Stevenson Museum. Uh, presents the house as it was at the time of his death and the path to Stevenson's grave at the top at the top of Mount Vea um, commences from the museum mm. so yeah that's what I got for him cool um rushed <laughs> no worries so the creatives for the show so the music is by Frank Wildhorn book by Leslie Brucuse and lyrics by Frank Wildhorn Leslie Brucuse and Steve Cooden so Frank Wildhorn, um, we actually covered him in our Bonnie and Clyde episode, but just for a quick thing, um, his musicals include uh, Jekyll and Hyde, Scarlet Pimpernel, and the Civil War. Um, none of them did well, so he lost $20 million. $20 million. Um, he also made Carmen, The Count of Monte Cristo, and Wonderland, Alice's New Musical Adventure. He has been nominated for one Grammy and two Tonys. Then Leslie Berhuse is most well known for his partnership with Anthony Newley, with whom he wrote Stop the World, I Want to Get Off, The Roar of the Grease Paint, The Smell of the Crowd, and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Um, Woo! I know, yeah. And it, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so he wrote the, the music and lyrics for the original movie. Um, so he also wrote lyrics for Pickwick, which is an adaptation of the Pickwick Papers by Charles Dickens. Uh, Victor Victoria, as well as the 1967 movie Dr. Doolittle. Um, other musicals include Sweet November, Scrooge, and Cyrano. His songs have been, co- have been covered by Sammy Davis Jr., Nina Simone, and Nancy Sinatra. So Nina he's won yeah, uh, two Academy Awards out of 10 nominations. So that was for um, Dr. Doolittle for a song and Victor, Victor Victoria. Um, and some other nominations. Um, then he got a Grammy for, oh, I believe, Victor Victoria, but probably not. That's fine. Um, and his, he's been nominated for five Tonys for the shows he's done. Then Steve Cooden, um, he's an American writer who's most well known for his work in cartoons, but has ventured out into other fields. Um, he wrote lyrics and helped conceive Jekyll and Hyde for the stage. He also collaborated with Wildhorn on Rudolph. A musical about the Crown Prince of Austria and his extramarital affair with Baroness Mary Vetsera. Oh, do you? On our list. 
It is? Okay, yeah, I wasn't sure because I thought I was like, this seems really niche and it seems like it's a European so I could enjoy it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so, Kudin's writing credits include the Fox Network shows, get this, um, Beetlejuice, Little Shop, Little Shop and X-Men. Um, so, he's such like an early, like a late 90s, early 2000s, um, like cartoon writer. Um, he also made the syndicated shows Bonkers, Exo Squad, The Mask animated series, Extreme Ghostbusters, oh. And Sonic Underground. Sonic um, Underground. I know. Yeah, I remember because I, I was love like, that. at one of your birthdays. We were like, just in yeah. your basement watching Sonic Underground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we were in like grade nine or something, we watched the entirety of Sonic Underground. Yeah, it was so wild. I'm like, oh my god, I love awesome. this. It's so good. That show is awesome. Um, and gotta love Sonic Underground. Yeah, yeah. His only feature film to date, Lucky, won multiple horror, horror awards at horror film festivals. Um, it's about a dog that turns his owner into a murderer. I'm not quite sure. Um, oh, like Son of Sam. Sure. <laughs> I should... <laughs> um, Never mind. Yeah. Um, I'm going to quickly do the cast. I'm going to quickly do the cast, and then we can talk about the show itself. So, Anthony Warlow is an Australian actor who's most well known for his portrayal of Henry Jekyll slash Edward Hyde on the original recording of Jekyll, of Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, and on the Australian tour. He actually didn't play on Broadway, which is interesting. Um, other notable roles include Andrew Ross in Les Miserables, Daddy Warbucks in Annie, and Don Quixote in Man of La Mancha. I hate that they call him Daddy Warbucks. His name is something else, but you stop saying that word. <laughs> like, he's a father. Not even, he is an adopted father. Like, ugh. Anywho. Um, Linda Eder is most well known for, for her portrayal of Lucy in Jacqueline Hyde on the cast recording and the original Broadway cast. Um, she also appeared on Broadway as Hannah Hopes in The Civil War. She's also been in a few workshops of Frank Wilde and musicals, um, Bonnie and Clyde as Bonnie, Dracula the musical as Minna, and Cyrano de Bergerac musical as Roxanne. Um, Roxanne. <laughs> um, and then Christian uh, Noel has appeared on Broadway in Ragtime as Mother and in Jekyll and Hyde as Emma. She has also toured quite a bit, namely in Eurotown as Hope Cladwell, Grief as Sandy, and Miss Saigon as Ellen. Um, Ellen's though, she's like the white American girlfriend. Um mm -hmm. And then David Hasselhoff has appeared in the show tw as well as um, Jacqueline Hyde. <laughs> um, the only thing that comes to mind when I think of David Hasselhoff is, is um, Spongebob. Spongebob movie, yeah. Spongebob yeah, exactly. movie. <laughs> is, honestly, it's a good thing to think about. <laughs> it, was this, it, was, it was a great role. Yeah. That's a great um, movie. <laughs> but he's actually done quite a bit of theater in, I think, Austria? I think in, like, Germany or Austria or whatever. Yeah, they, he's like... Some yeah, Germany. I think that's where they love him. Like there, <laughs> yeah. He's like known as like a musician more than an actor. Yeah. So he was on the soundtrack for Guardians of the Galaxy Vol Volume Two. Yeah, right. he was. Yeah, yeah, he was. Um, did like the end credits scene or the end credits uh music. Mm. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Yeah, he played uh, Captain Hook in London, Bristol, Manchester. Nottingham, Southend, and Glasgow, and Cardiff. Wow. Um, oh, he was in 9 to 5. That's so fun. <laughs> um, and he played uh, Judas in Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, my God. Where is that bootleg? Oh, really? Oh. I love Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, like, so his good. singing isn't bad. Yeah. 
but like no, he's pretty good like just thing. just like the, <laughs> i mean <laughs> um but like jesus the like jesus christ superstar is so demanding especially for Jude- judas and jesus that would mm-hmm. be interesting to see um he's also played uh Danny Zuko in greece because that's kind of his whole vibe um i don't know i feel like it's a fit i feel like it fits um, yeah, I mean, the movie had like 40 year olds playing teenagers, so yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then Teal Wicks, she is a alphaba from Wicked. Um, she was in the US tour and the subsequent revival in 2013. Um, she was also in Finding Neverland as uh, Mary Berry, um, mm-hmm. with a fun name. Um, let's see what else. Uh, she played Martha Jefferson in 1776 at, uh, in Connecticut. Um, uh, she played Julia in Unsinkable Mo- Molly Brown in some readings. Um, to, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And recently she played uh, Lady in the Cher show. So that's like the middle Cher. Because um, mm-hmm. they have like three women playing Cher. Um, oh, that show is so good. Uh yeah, so what's your favorite song, everybody? Ooh, I liked, I liked, um, oh, that's tough. I liked Alive, mm. but I also liked, um, I think Confrontation is the big one mm-hmm. that's stuck in my head. Oh, and then also, what's the one? This City Has Gone Insane or something like that. Oh, Facade? Like, no, like, no, 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 never mind. Uh, the world has gone insane. I really like the world has gone insane. So mm. all all Hyde slash Jekyll songs for the most part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I like Take Me As I Am, uh, This Is the Moment and Confrontation. Though I'm so used to the the like version on Spotify where it's like kind of two people doing it. Mm. or it sounds kind of like two people doing it and they're kind of overlapping each other when i was watching the D- david hasselhoff version and it's just him like turn to the left kind of interrupting himself and it just didn't seem to go very well yeah for sure um uh, yeah that yeah. that song though is another reason why i think this would be such a fun show to direct yeah. like the lighting and just like the stage direction there's yeah. so much room for like just going buck wild on this show. Not, it feels th- so fun. I think if I were to like, I think I've seen some productions where they have like, like a Victor Victoria thing near the end where they have a, like they split it down the middle, like yeah, um, kind of like the Phantom um, with the mask and stuff. But like, uh. you turn to one side, he's normal. Turn to the other side, he's not. <laughs> I think it would be fun to use like some just basic like smeared eye makeup to denote hide. Mm-hmm. So like when it's full hide, you could do both eyes, but in that scene, you could just do one eye. Yeah. So they around, and also you could do it like you could put you could hide the makeup on his hand so that like he like goes like that he like covers his face or something, mm-hmm. and like secretly that's how he transforms into hide, and it just denotes that. Because yeah, like, like, some of those like TikTok videos where they're trying to play like the man part and then the woman part, and they've got like a <laughs> yeah, little like, like yeah, like the mustache, the mustache yeah. yeah, throwing it back on, yeah. Yeah, pretty yeah. much that's what I want to see from the Jekyll and Hyde musical. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think my favorite songs are um, This Is A Moment, uh, Someone Like You, uh, Bring On The Men, I love that song so much. Um, Bring On The Men, pretty good. Yeah, uh, In His Eyes, oh, so good. 
Um, and then Facade, for some reason, I was listening to the soundtrack, I'm like, Facade, this ensemble is popping off. Like, they're mad. <laughs> Facade also, like, out of all the songs in it, I think it, like, matches most to the original themes of the book. Mm. Like, yeah. I think Facade works really well alongside the themes of the original story. Yeah. Yeah, I really like... Um, how do you feel about the betrayal of... I guess there's nothing really to reference to, but how do you feel about the betrayal of... Um, Lucy. Um, it was good. I, it kind of felt like, I don't know why they had to like write in so much violence against women. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause they really added, I mean like props to them for like uh, writing in um, female characters, but it would have been nice if you could write in female characters and not just have them be like immediately assaulted, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like, like the same thing as um as Oliver, because like this is all this is an all male writing team. They won't have a perspective where like, hey, maybe people don't want to see women getting beat. Yeah. Like it's like there is like because also Hyde is more brutal in the musical. Like mm-hmm. he kill he kills one person. He does trample like a little a child, and then he kills an old man. But in the musical, he kills like five six people, mm-hmm. like actively. Like even in the even in the book, the death is kind of an accident. It's kind of like he just loses control. But in the musical, he actively seeks out killing five people or something like that. He kills like the board of directors or something, which was also not in the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's kind of like the mask where immediately Jim Carrey sets out to like specifically attack the people who wronged him. Mm. And that just doesn't happen in the book. Yeah, and then kind of slightly graphic death of lucy yeah Mm. yeah which so like i guess props them for like adding female characters but like did they all like because both of them suffer abuse and like violence from hide Mm -hmm. yeah for sure did we need that yeah yeah no and lucy kind of gets fridged yeah lucy 100 percent gets fridged yeah um like in theory it's like good and progressive but in practice the way they do it mm-hmm. feels kind of icky I don't know. it also feels like the um like they kind of put emma there as like a prop or like she's yeah. there to like to be in reference to like oh he has a life before like the the serum like mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> out, outside of like yeah outside of love loving Jekyll what character traits does she have yeah I can't it's the like it's the Peggy Carter of the show if you will but Peggy Carter is quite a bit more um I like Peggy Carter Agent Carter she's she's there to show you that like he has a life before this and he doesn't have to but like he will um oh my god is is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde about Captain America (laughs) no the answer is no. Exactly. The same. Yes. Yeah. No. No. You, you've got. You've cracked the code. You've cracked the code. Max. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I feel like the um props to them for adding female characters. Um, they're they're definitely there. They could be easily replaced by a cardboard cutout and a sexy lamp. But you know, <laughs> like the <laughs> the sexy lamp thing from the Bechtel, Bechtel episode. Yeah. Um. So I'm not to come up with that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, um, I feel like they gave her agency enough for the 90s, but for 2021, I don't know. I don't think so. Could have used a little more. 
Yeah. And I'm not really bothered about them adding them because they did just, they rewrote the whole story. Even if you mm. took away Emma and Lucy, the story is still completely different. Yeah. So, like, I like the addition because, like, a lot of these additions are to, like, make the story more emotional, essentially. Because, mm. like, mm-hmm. um, Carew is now his father in law and has had interactions with Jekyll so that his death hits more, right? It's all yeah. stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it would have been nice if they were if the female characters were written a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so the show was nominated for four Tonys, didn't win any, but that's okay. Um, so it's nominated for book actor for the main uh, for Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, uh, costume design and lighting design. Um, the lighting was great in all the clips I saw. Mm-hmm. The lighting was fantastic. Apparently the show has been a frequent choice for high schools and community theaters across the United States. So <laughs> but it seems very demanding though. It feels like the like the um the one guy especially, like he's doing everything and he's also like singing really really high and like he has to do like really intense um and looking at like, the caliber acting. Of- the, looking at the caliber of male actors in high schools and community theaters yeah uh, <laughs> it needs to be like it needs to be like a really specific guy you have in mind <laughs> or yeah, a couple because yeah. that feels bad to just like be like oh yeah you're 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 it <laughs> um i feel like you're about to trust the cast to do this show this feels like a once in a generation show <laughs> it also feels like a it feels i could see why they do it it's like a fun show Mm-hmm. it's there's a fun a, show a, to direct there's a really big cast like too yeah yeah it feels like it'd be fun to play a lot of the characters they would be like fun to act yeah and like i think that's the big thing you're looking for in like high school and community theater shows is like this is fun yeah <laughs> fun to do you know mm-hmm. um yeah uh anything else you want to talk about i did a on my, th- this is something, a subtle plug, on my TikTok, I did do a casting of oh, Jekyll and Hyde. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, if you guys want to hear, it is the book version. Mm. It is not the, uh, it is not the musical version. But okay. I no, cast, as, as Mr. Utterson, I cast Kermit the Frog. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I feel like Kermit's the main character. Kermit's the one we see through the eyes of. Um, Dr. Lanyon would be Ralph because he has a kind energy. He just has like a very calming, kind energy. I like Ralph. Mm. Uh, Onfield is Fozzie Bear because him and Mr. Utterson have all those interactions together and Fozzie and Kermit have great chemistry. Um, Mr. Poole, the butler, who we haven't talked about really, but he has a butler. Uh, would be split between Statler and Waldorf. So mm. they would both, they would be Mr. and Mr. Poole. Yeah. Um, whether the implication, that's what I was looking for earlier, implication mm. is that they're married or brothers. That's up to you. I think yeah. the implication would be they're married, but yeah. Um, Hyde would be, I think it's pretty obvious, animal. Yeah. And then, <laughs> um, so every Muppet movie has a token human. Mm. And so for the, role of dr jekyll i think to set him apart he would be the one token human but you need someone who can since hyde's the muppet you need someone who can play both muppet and man Mm -hmm. 
I went with uh, Jason Siegel. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, Jason Siegel is like the right amount of like boring, but also funny. Like, <laughs> Also, if, if, if I was doing it seriously, I'd probably cast someone like David Tennant or something, some like, or mm. Tom Hiddleston, like a British person. Oh, but I think it's fun. I think it's yeah. fun. It was a fun joke. Anyway. Oh my god, Tom Hiddleston and uh, Owen Wilson as Jekyll and Hyde, you decide which one's which. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> wow. I don't know, neither neither of them are like that, un- like they're both like kind of unhinged, but like not like their characters, oh no, not, no, I don't know. I still don't want It'd be really fun to see Owen Wilson play an unhinged character. <laughs> I know, I feel like I want I, unhinged, like Owen Wilson is just too held back. We need to see him go off, like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, I don't, Annika, uh, for the people who might have viewed more of the uh, musical, did they ever in the lyrics use the best line in the whole book the um is that the if he is mr hyde i will be mr seek yeah oh right yeah 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 i'm like mr hyde he had thought i shall be mr seek (laughs) yeah (laughs) fantastic line yeah greatest line in literary history i I had to put the book down when i read that (laughs) just a big i couldn't believe In the middle of this super like dark, dreary, like very, very gothic story, it's just, and I shall be Mr. Seek. Yeah. <laughs> hide and seek fun. Yeah. My God. And you just see like Robert Louis Stevenson just kind of chuckling to self as he's like in bed <laughs> writing it. He's just writing, it's like, Robert, it's like... you are something else. This is, yeah. this is something else. Yeah. That feels yeah. like a line that would have been in the Looney Tunes adaptation. Or something. <laughs> yeah. It feels like a, a yeah. line from parody about Dr. Yeah. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, ah, great. This is kind of like kind of related. Um, I always get which one. I always get mixed up which one's which because I'm always like, oh, Jekyll sounds like a more unhinged name than Hyde, but it's yeah. fine. Yeah, I always think like, oh, Dr. Jekyll is the evil one, but I mean, evil is relative. But like. Um, I always think like Hyde seems more nor- seems so much more normal than Jekyll, but maybe that's just because I'm not German. But I feel like Hyde is such a evil sounding name. Hyde. Ooh, yeah, really good song that's called Jekyll, and it's a German song. Mm. I'm gonna find it. Jekyll is German, right? Maybe. Oh, it's by know. Larry, or L A R Y. She does a song named Jekyll, and it's such a good song. Mm. Jekyll is a Celtic surname. Oh, okay. Uh, meaning generous lord. So mm. it's kind of it's got positive connotations there. And it's also like British mm. from like Anglo-Saxon culture. Mm. So yeah. Whereas what's the high what's Hyde name meaning? This is interesting. I love name meaning. <laughs> Hyde is a boy's name of English origin, meaning hide. Nice. <laughs> it, just, it just means hide. It just means hide with an I. <laughs> <laughs> so he really is you know Mr. What? Hyde. They could have they could have thrown in a, a fur pun, but they didn't, and that's that's on them. <laughs> 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 um. So our next book for next month is <laughs> The Secret Garden. 
I'm so excited for this one. I have the uh, CD in my car, and that's kind of the whole reason I wanted to do this, um, the book club, is because I have the book, too. And it seems like something I should have read a while ago when I was, like, a child, but, like, I, I just seem so cute, and, like, I'm already ready for it to make me, to make me cry. <laughs> okay. I picked up Secret Garden, um, like, when you first told me about it, mm. like, before the whole thing, when you first, like, invited me here, I, so I yeah. picked that one up right away. Mm. Um. I'm excited. One of my old coworkers, it's like their favorite book ever. Mm-hmm. Like I remember when I first met them, they talked about it for like a half hour. It feels so. like it is a lot of people's favorite book, but it seems like it's from like for a while ago. Like nobody really I don't know if it's ever like still like on book lists for like preteens. Maybe. I mean they give you new stuff nowadays, um, but like <laughs> Yeah. I just remember definitely... that my like neighbor would uh have it on uh audio. And then before mm. we went to school, we would listen to it a little mm. bit in the morning. Yeah, I have the CD in my car. Then this kind of the CD, I, well, I'm kind of going between um, Les Mis Act 2 and Secret Garden right now. Because Les Mis is on two CDs, but yeah. Um, but like this, like the soundtrack is so, is so beautiful. And like I'm barely ready to talk about Mandy Patinkin too. Mm. Mandy. Yeah. Mandy Patinkin is in the Secret Garden music. Yeah, oh, he's really? um, art, oh. no, art. Archie, no, the other one, the other. I love Mandy Patinkin. Yeah. <laughs> he has his own um, TikTok account. Does he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just him and his that. wife farting around doing random things. <laughs> uh, I think I actually saw that. I think I saw like a, a Shakespeare thing he was doing on it or something. I don't know. Maybe that was him. It could have been someone else. I don't know. Oh, he did. Um, It was last March, like right as COVID happened. There was... um. There was supposed to be like a Sondheim 90th, 90th birthday concert that um, he was supposed to sing at, and like obviously like it got canceled because of COVID. But like his performance of like the online thing they replaced it with was so beautiful. Um, and like Aaron Devate saying, "Marry me, but marry me a little," and I'm like, "You're still our boyfriend even during COVID times." <laughs> <laughs> I remember like when I first found out he got COVID, like the whole Milan Rouge cast got it. I'm like, "Oh no, they're all gonna die." <laughs> not to minimize what happened like with covid like it's really like it did affect a lot of people but i'm like oh after the fact i'm like oh they're like healthy they're broadway actors like i'm sure they'll be fine not the moulin rouge cast i know not them (laughs) yeah um yeah is there anything else we want to talk about uh i think that pretty much wraps it up for me yeah i think i got all like the main themes and stuff musicals good but vastly different Mm. and also i think every adaptation of jekyll and hyde i've ever seen every adaptation or parody or reference is vastly different from the original source material which is kind of fun i feel like the musical be more fun to satirize than the book because the book is like I guess it's interesting, but like musical just has so many more like flashy characters and stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas if you're doing the if you're satirizing the book, you need to like have like six old white men and like the maid, like and this yeah. Everyone is like either Mister or Doctor. There's yeah, and everyone <laughs> Mister Doctor, uh-huh. Mister Doctor. There's like two doctors, and everyone else is Mister Onfield, Mister Hyde, yeah, uh, Mister Pool, Mister Utterson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just um, feels kind of, yeah, they could have been done better. Like, long description of silence, but also, I think the gothic atmosphere, I think it's, at least it's a, an early, 
it's like one of the best representations of gothic literature though i think mm. it's like a very good summation of what gothic literature is oh would you put it on par with frankenstein as like an example of gothic literature or just as like a book i enjoyed uh on par with gothic literature I'd say it's probably as good a representation of Gothic mm. literature as Frankenstein is, how but you, I enjoy Frankenstein more as a book. How do you define Gothic literature? Uh, spooky. Fair enough. I'd say Gothic literature comes out from like, because for a while, a lot of literature focuses on like the beauty of nature mm. and Gothic literature is more preoccupied with death um mm. and darkness and uh that sort of emotions it's the precursor to horror mm. so it's gothic literature is like what horror was in the victorian era and modern gothic literature is usually playing off the tropes uh that were present in that time um mm. so like southern gothic is like you take all the tropes in classic gothic literature but you take them out of england you put them in like southern america mm. um yeah but also it's just it's spooky <laughs> yeah yeah cool um yeah so we'll see you guys next week with allegiance um yeah oh. i'm really excited for that one i have to watch it still but um let's uh what am i doing um you can find us on instagram at history in the spotlight uh you can find us on twitter at history in the sp1 you can email us at history in the spotlight at gmail.com Email us all your opinions, your thoughts. Do you re- do you read the book? Do you like do you like the book? Do you like the musical? Or do you watch the musical? Just all those things. Any backstage stories or theater fails, send them our way. Or uh, any shows we should do, uh, you can find out about those. Um, and we're also Redbubble. You can just look up History and Spotlight, and it should show up. You can order a shirt or a mug or a, a clock, a clock, <laughs> or a postcard. <laughs> Or whatever you want. Or stickers. Great value. Yeah, stickers. Yeah, yeah. Um, Julian, do you want to plug anything? First off, I want to say, forgot, gothic literature also includes elements from romance as well as horror. And mm. also, uh, I don't have a lot to plug. Maybe that TikTok. I don't remember the, uh, I don't remember my handle off the top of my head, though. I didn't get that ready. And also, I haven't posted on it in a while. So maybe mm. next time I'll have be back up posting regularly and I'll plug it that time. Yeah. I'll just look on Twitter. Uh, Jules underscore Waldron. It's mm-hmm. J U L E S underscore W A L D R O N. Yeah. Cool. So we'll see you um, in a month or like three weeks with um, Secret Garden. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Bye. We'll probably talk to you before this. Yeah. I mean, well, sorry. We'll all be here, but. No, if you, if any of you try and talk to me before then, I'm blocking you. <laughs> It's not okay. <laughs> I was Julia was talking to the audience, you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the collective you, not just okay, whatever. No, um, no. Specifically you two. Specifically yeah. Annika and Max. Don't contact me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so see you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.